Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Uh, I'm going to start by my insurance from Blaine Bishop and Associates <laughs> Insurance Company. Oh, well, I should start an insurance. I should be a, you get a broker's license, everything. We're talking some broker. insurance talk here, you know, of dad stuff here before we came on. And it reminded me, because Blaine's like, I should have started that agency. Blaine Bishop's backup plan, one-time eighth-round draft pick of the Houston Oilers. I'm going to give it everything I got. And if not... I got a I got an insurance job waiting on me. Where was it? It wasn't in Muncie. Yeah, Richmond, Indiana. Richmond, Indiana. At State Farm. Dude, yeah, you that, that was the only job I got offered uh coming out of college. You could hey, that be was a great job, man. The king of Richmond, Indiana. Yeah, I don't even know I, what I that ne- is. I had never been there myself. I had never been there. All I knew they had a real good, you know, high school basketball team back in the day. You'd be like their biggest sponsor. Your name would be yeah. up in the gym on a banner. Well, I don't think Bishop I would have been there too long. I'm, I'm, I would have been there probably a year, then I would have found my way at least back to Indianapolis <laughs> or Chicago so it was or Richmond, something. Richmond, Virginia, or the Houston Oilers were the two offers you were weighing. Think yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, well, to be honest, you know, the, the Oiler. The Richmond, Indiana, Lucas. The oh, Oiler offer wasn't, you know, so, so big. I mean, uh, uh, my my signing bonus was only uh, as an eighth round pick like thirty thousand dollars, so after tax it was more like fifteen. Tell him what the tell him. So and my base salary was yep, one fifteen and then one twenty five. That's what the practice squad guys are making based off actually more than that. Yeah, yeah. We're talking I mean, about the r- rookie minimum is what four hundred thousand now. It's over four hundred for that- rookie minimum. Yeah, it's over four hundred yeah. now. See? It's like four fifty. Yeah, and I was in the first year where they got a real good, you know, the new CBA, so it really went into effect the next year. But it didn't help me. I signed a two year deal and then uh, restricted. Then that's when I started making some money in my third year. See, there's this and thought that, by everybody that oh, if you played in the NBA or the NFL, yeah. you played three years. Well, you made I sure thought that too. I was five like, oh, million dollars. Oh no. yeah, you you're making nope. money. No, no, the dudes who was already in the league was making money, but, but not B Bizzle, not BB. Yeah, so two years, one, 125 was the max. So I was just a nice executive that was risking his life. <laughs> he was risking his life. I was, it was a nice executive hey. pay. I, and I wasn't complaining, but yeah, that, was, that wasn't what I was expecting. You moved enough product in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was with first Indy. rounder freeloading off of B Hop. You know, he says I wasn't, but I was because. Ollie was paying him like two hundred dollars, you know, for a room. When I was supposed to probably be paying him like a thousand. You at least have your own bathroom. I had my own bathroom, my own closet, and yeah, everything. <laughs> my own closet. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was, I was cool with that, you know. For, for trade off, I would also, <laughs> I would also use any vehicle that was available because I didn't have a car all the way rookie year. So it shows you the mindset, and I, I'd walk his dogs. And meanwhile. Um, he was gone in, you know, his 300 ZX, his BMW, Benz, Tonka truck, whatever he had. He had like six cars for a year, and they couldn't fit in the garage trust. So we were all out there. I was like, well, just leave the key, and whatever one's the easiest to get out is the one I'm driving. So so you're in honor of Oilers Week last week, your Oilers history lesson, 1993, Brad Hopkins was the first-round pick. Yeah. Blaine Bishop was the eighth-round pick. That was the last. Turned yeah. out to be two pretty darn good picks. but uh, It lasted all the way to Tennessee. And he was 13 years, and I was nine. Nine with the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10 overall. Yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. It was interesting, you know, uh, we had Michael Barrow was the second round from the U. He was really talented. He was good. Uh, eventually was with the Panthers mm-hmm. when they had the expansion. So he got taken that way. So... That was it, really. Who lasted through? We had Skills Mills, who was a great special team guy from Wake Forest, tight end specialist. And Travis Hanna was a speed demon. 
uh, from USC. He got injured, and then uh, man, that was that's pretty. We had a guy uh, from Kentucky. I think his last name was Bradley, offensive tackle. They say, yeah, he didn't last too long. I don't think he was serious about playing football. I would guess because I mean they drafted. I think he was like the fifth round pick or something. I, some guys. Then a punt return of Pat, Patrick Robinson. He was pretty good. Yeah. He just wasn't a receiver. He was just he was a straight returner. He he was pretty good at. It. I think there are some guys who they're so I, Kevin Dodd always struck me this way, like he was big and fast and strong, and it's like he's probably the best guy at his high school. Probably played basketball too. Was great at everything. It's like well, Clemson he's the best call, team on on his team at Clemson. Yeah, and so Clemson calls and they're like, "Why don't you just come here? We'll pay for everything." He's like, "Yeah, man." So he gets to Clemson. He's still big. He's still fast. He's still strong. I know his last year was his best year. But then you come here, everybody's big, everybody's fast, everybody's strong. And if you're not doing everything it takes mentally all the time, mm-hmm. that's why it seems like that's why a lot of those. Now, I know he got a foot injury, and, and I get it, foot injury for what his job is. But there's a lot of guys you think, gosh, why didn't that guy make it? Who, who have been great at big schools. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't put the work in. Didn't learn everything right. you had to learn. and. This is, I, I tell you all the time, I listen to the stuff that you and Kevin Dyson tell me. One of the things that you always said was every offseason I worked on everything, but I would find something that I need to get better at. So I'd focus on that. And the next year I'd focus on something else. And the next year I'd focus on something else. You were always trying to take your game to the highest level. And some guys are just like, oh, shoot, I'm not the biggest, fastest guy anymore. I don't know what to do. Right. That's exactly what happens. Or are they content with where they're at? Right. And think they can just continue to do what they've done in the past and that's going to be good enough. It's never good enough. You better keep evolving uh, as a player, no different than if you're in any other industry in the workforce. Uh, so, you know, just like in radio, I mean, who would have thought we'd be streaming, we're live on TV, and everybody gets to see our beautiful faces at yeah, this point in time. Very fortunate. <laughs> yeah, so we now have the face for radio, Mickey. <laughs> at least that's what we want to believe. Anyway. Well, you've done a little TV and me too back in the day, yeah. so maybe, maybe we're in the right spot right yeah. now. Um Adam Schefter tweeted this, I guess, late yesterday. A.J. Brown strained hamstring, expected to be considered week to week. Titans have got the Jets and Jags coming up. I wonder if we even see A.J. Brown for the next couple of weeks. And that got me thinking, well, it's been three weeks, so dudes can come off of IR. Well, I think the three dudes who started on IR, which is a three-week clock, so they can come back this week. Darrington Evans, Marcus Johnson, if you need some help at wide receiver, and then uh, Daniel Munyer, who's one of the backup centers, the guy who played a whole yeah, lot in right. the preseason. Those three guys could come back. Uh, Jim White had posted this earlier. They asked Rob Moore. He spoke to the media today. They asked about Marcus Johnson. This was what he said. He'll be heavily monitored when he is back off of IR to determine how much he can play and help us. I don't know if that comment means he's going to come off this week. Once you come off, it used to be, and COVID has changed so many NFL rules, and maybe Blaine even for the better, because it used to be if you went on IR, then you just never could come back. Yeah, they then, changed that during the COVID or two years ago. Or then it was two guys could come back, be designated to return, and now it's anybody could come off IR, but you got to be on three weeks. And then once you come off, they've got three weeks to either go, okay, he's, we're going to play him, or we're just you have to go on the shelf all year. All year, right? So you get some three three week you know leeway. I, I really like this rule. Oh my gosh, me yeah. too. Bigger practice squad. I like all the rules. Do we even know what area Marcus? Johnson was injured. It's kind of mystery because remember he was stopped practicing, then he didn't play in the last game, and then all of a sudden he was injured again. And I, I have no idea what was it a lower body 
I'm talking in uh, hockey terms. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. Was it, I have no idea, like, was it a hamstring or was it a knee, an ankle? I don't, I never understood what his injury was. Here's the story from, now, and, and I'm the same way, and I was thinking about this morning, and I thought, I'm going to pull this up. CBS Sports, Marcus Johnson, wide receiver, undisclosed, was placed on injured reserve. Never, never disclosed. Undisclosed. And it's the NFL. Usually, whatever's wrong, they at least say elbow, shoulder, foot, ankle. Well, undisclosed. Okay. You know all the rules that I don't know. How can they report that he's undisclosed? So he, they could actually be like, oh, he's not really injured. We just wanted to put you over to the side here. <laughs> not to say that that happened. But I'm just like, don't they have to disclose some form of an injury? I didn't think you could do that anymore. Okay. Somebody. I know they're so tight-lipped over there, you know, Vrabel on injuries, and I get it, but you have to list somewhere area, knee, ankle, calf. I mean, they got to say something, shoulder. They got to say something. I, I think, and somebody will immediately tweet at me and say, you big dummy, if yeah, this is yeah, wrong. Tweet, tweet him. Tweet you him. big dummy. At Mickey Ryan 1045. Yeah, you can tag me. Tweet Blaine. it to Blaine and Mickey because they're the, the two dummies. The two dummies. <laughs> hey, you two dummies. Somebody's going to tell me if this is wrong. I think you can go on IR with whatever. Once you start to play, if you don't play, then they have to say what it is. Yes, I got you. So this week, let's say they – let's because they always release I – mean, email could have had COVID. I, I don't even it, know. It could be. It could be. Right. It could I be have anything. no idea. We really don't know. Maybe you know. You could tweet us that too. You dummies, right. here's why. Well, yeah, we need to go find Red. I bet he knows. So they always – you and me are walking out of the studio. By the time I get to my car every day, they've released whatever their transactions are for the day. They do it every day. But we can't stay on that long because it's time for 3HL, so they can always – they tell you. We'll, we'll sit in here with 3HL. We should just sit in here tell it, tell it and say, okay, here's the injury report. We're going to read be it. fun. Okay, bye. The Blaine and Mickey 3HL show. Oh, we used to be on that show. We could rejoin for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were on there once upon a time. Uh, but here's the thing. If they make him active today at 2.56, whatever he does tomorrow or doesn't do it at practice, then it has to say, like, limited what hamstring, area? did not practice shoulder, whatever, at, at that point. Well, what if he just say his whole body got tight? Tightness. Uh, tightness. That's, that was Julio Jones. Tightness. It was, it was tight. It was tight. What was tight? His back? I don't, his neck? His shoulder, his elbow, his pinky finger. Well, you need that to catch the ball. Yeah, you do. You do. I, I, I don't. I don't know. Was he deep? Not you know. Not hydrated. Talk to somebody from Atlanta who, who is not, not a big believer in the tightness. Or <laughs> he's not a. I, I just I talked to somebody and and he's not a big believer that load management and tightness and. You don't believe any of that? No. No, no. He, he's not with it, huh? No. Oh, I, oh so you're saying now that, that, that somebody was fibbing. I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm not saying. Oh, so you're not in the <laughs> accusation game. I'm not, no, no, I'm not making any <laughs> accusations or acquisitions or any kind of acquisitions at all. I'm just saying, I got a call yesterday, and somebody's like, hey, man, this, this is trending poorly uh, up here for uh, this former Falcons wide receiver. It is trending poorly for him. And that boat need maybe to get turned into a, a different direction for this to go well. Yeah. And I don't want to say too much, but yeah. I. Yeah, he was tight, but only because the coach said he was tight. 
<laughs> that is how we'll go to break there, Mickey. <laughs> Blaine, Blaine and Mickey, we got Eric Eager. Maybe he, maybe Pro Football Focus has a tightness scale. We'll ask Eric Eager next. It's Blaine and Mickey. Blaine to Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Tuesday's all right for Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus. He joins us now at PF. Okay. Uh, Lucas says he is, he is, oh, he's on the phone with him now. He will soon have oh. us. Tuesday is st- still Get away. Right for Eric Eager. Get away. That's not what they're saying, is it? It's not. But I, I mean, know. it would work there. See, this is what I used to do when I was a kid. I'd just make up my own words because mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't hear what was going on. Yeah, this is what I used to do all the time. And then I come to realize that my wife would tell me, yeah, those aren't the words. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's what I thought they were. Eric Eager, pro football focus. <laughs> they got all the words to describe all your favorite and non-favorite players. Hey, Eric, does PFF have a tightness scale? We want to know how tight Julio was in the fourth quarter of the game on Sunday. He, was, <laughs> he had tightness. I was wondering how PFF had rated his tightness. Or, or, or did you see anything well, you where it. he could have got, like, tight? Yeah. You know, <laughs> or missed a block or something. You guys are uh, getting the full Julio Jones experience, where you know we have a we have a, a, a statistic called yards per route run, and Julio almost always leads the league in that. Um, but you're finding out that one of the reasons why he does that is that he he limps off the field for you know play a number of plays at a time, uh, and that denominator isn't all that big because he doesn't play nearly as much as a lot of other starting receivers. Oh. Um. Should Carson Wentz have limped off the field and maybe not finished the game on Sunday? Because, hey, man, that dude was playing on two bad wheels. Uh, It was hard to watch at times. Yeah, I mean, the hard part with Wentz is, you know, when you have that uh, sort of injury-prone label, um, you sort of want to prove to the rest of your team, right? And then you also have the label last season where, you know, you got your spot taken away by Jalen Hurts, and there was, you know, uh, many of a rumor that said that he sort of, like, kind of folded like like a lawn chair when they brought in competition for him. And so, you know, he's he's fighting an uphill battle against a lot of narratives, and I think one of them is the injury-prone one. And so if it was kind of an injury where, you know, he was being more hurt than he was injured, uh, I, I think he was probably getting advice that you have to go gut it out. Now, that's been... He's been painful to watch uh, the first three games of the season, I'll just say. And and I'm not saying he's necessarily bad. It's just like that offense could be decent in Indianapolis, um, but there's always sort of something in their way. And and on Sunday, it was the Titans' defense. At some point, do people start to, like, take the golden boy label off of uh, Ballard? Because, I mean, he was the greatest thing since sliced bread with peanut butter on it. But they just keep having problems with stuff. Well, the problem with with the with the Colts is, I think that they do they do a really good job of drafting players. They do a pretty good job. You know, the trade that they have with the Jets is really a smart one, but they don't really understand the value of positions. So, you know, look at where they've hit in the draft on positions. They hit at linebacker, like which is you know not necessarily the most valuable position in the world. They hit on guard which is not necessarily the most valuable position in the world. They hit on running back, which, unless you're Derrick Henry, is not the most valuable position in the world. And and they, they traded a first-round pick and gave a lot of money to divorce Buckner. And so when you do that and those guys end up playing well, you have to dole out a significant amount of your money to the Darius Leonard's and the Clint Nelson's and the 
uh, Jonathan Taylor eventually of the world. And the problem with that is then you don't have the resources to buy players at valuable positions like defensive back or edge or wide receiver or quarterback. And, you know, then you have to sort of like take these long shots on players like Carson Wentz, which are, are never great, or you have to over, not overpay, but you have to pay a significant amount of money for a guy like Philip Rivers last year. Um, so I, I don't think Ballard stinks or anything. I do think he's gotten unlucky because, you know, Andrew Luck was, was playing really well when he decided to retire and that's not really his fault. Um, but at the same time, like a lot of the moves that they've made, I think he's a great talent evaluator. He just maybe isn't necessarily as good at valuing players uh, the way that you're supposed to at the NFL level. Talking with Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus at PFF underscore Eric. He's the uh, VP of R&D for PFF <laughs> on the B&M show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're on a roll there. <laughs> hey, Eric, uh, since you're talking about Wentz, let's talk about this. I know his play was <laughs> erratic at best, but, man, what was it? What was his offensive line grades? Because, I, man, I felt like he was getting harassed by the Titans' front four pretty much all day. So what did you grade, how did they grade out? Uh, I did, the Titans graded pretty well up front defensively uh, on Sunday. You know, you saw you, you, there was a tweet that we had that, they had 16 total pressures, I believe, the first two games. Uh, and then against Wentz on Sunday, they they were able to get uh, 24, I believe. Um, and, you know, now now you're looking at, you know, Harold Landry leading the team with 20, then Danico Autry with 14, and then Jeffrey Simmons with, uh, with seven. And not so many from Bud Dupree so far, only three. Um, but they're getting uh, good production now, uh, you know, from that front. And, and hopefully that continues for them. Um, now that they have sort of a commanding lead in the AFC South. Mm. I, di- I didn't hear you, uh, but did you uh, have Oluwa Daly, uh, I-, I guess, his numbers as well? Yeah, he yeah he has five pressures, but he's turned five of them, those pressures into three sacks. So that, that, of course, you know, from my perspective as a data person, I look at the pressures because those turn into sacks. But, yeah, he, uh, Adehi, he's, had, he's you know, been productive from a sack perspective. Um, and he's also has three stops in the run game. So, yeah, that, that's a fairly good, uh, you know, start to, to, to the season for him. What was his production, or did you even know he existed before, before he came to the Titans, man? This is kind of fun because he's already in the, you know, the NFL now, is already trying to do a drug test on him now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> they say I mean, he's, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, uh, I believe he was undrafted. Uh, his first team was Pittsburgh. He's 24 years old. I mean, I guess he had 155 snaps at Pittsburgh last year. Um, but just to give you sort of a sense of scale, he going into the season, he had played just over 200 snaps in his career, had six total pressures in his career, no sacks. And then, of course, uh, the other day he had uh, he had three pressures and two sacks just in that game itself. So uh, that that is – and that's a fine. And if you're Tennessee, look, mm-hmm. the offseason, we've talked about this a number of times in the show, the offseason wasn't kind to them in a lot of ways. Um except for the Julio trade. And when that happens, you need guys like that to step up. No doubt about it. Well, with Eric Eager with the PFF, uh, I guess give us who's trending up and who's trending down, I guess, uh, your top three candidates of both uh, on offensive defense or, you know, at least one candidate of those. Well, I think I think what's trending up is, is certainly the quarterback. Uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill did not look good in the first week. Um, you know, question marks about whether Todd Downing could really run an effective offense. Um, there are, those, those are questions I still have. There are some, 
some bad markers in their data. So, for example, Tennessee's wide receiver, sorry, Tennessee's receivers in general, um, when they're targeted, are contested by opposing defenders at a rate that's only surpassed by the Chicago Bears offense. The, you know, the, the Chicago Bears, uh, I think I think Matt Nagy uh, is the reason Todd Downing sleeps well at night because he's getting all the attention, or Downing got all the attention after week one. Um, they also run the fewest number of what are called you know, run-pass options, which is sort of the new craze in the NFL this year. They only run them about 1.1% of the time. So there's a, there's a, a few things where, you know, he's not giving, um, you know, for example, they run the ball, you know, on early downs, uh, the fourth most in the NFL. So there are a number of things where they're not giving Tannehill as easy of a job um, as he normally had, you know, with, with uh, Arthur Smith. And yet Tannehill's emerged uh, the last two games and played, I think, fantastic football. So um, he's won, of course. Um, I think trending down is, is obviously, you know, unfortunately probably due more to an injury than anything. Um, you know, but A.J. Brown, a guy who, you know, I, I drafted in a lot of fantasy leagues, I'm a very big fan of. Right now, 18 targets lead the team, um, along with Julio Jones, but he's only converted on seven of those, um, averaging a little bit, roughly about five yards a target, which is not anywhere close to a guy who who got 1,000 yards as a rookie and under 100 targets. So uh, he's trending down for me a little bit. Um, you know, once he comes back and is healthy, uh, I assume that he'll add a spark to the the, the the uh, Titans offense, but right now he's been a little bit less than expected. Kind of Eric, we on with Eric Eager, uh, PFF. Kind of go through the starting offensive line and kind of take us through your grades. I, I thought Quisenberry played solid. Uh, what was Lawan's grades and kind of go through each and individual one of those guys, Ben Jones, Saffold, and and what they graded out as run pass. Yeah, Quisenberry has our highest uh, grade among offensive linemen. Um, you have seventy nine uh, pass block grade, a sixty six uh, run block grade. Um, the run block rate isn't as high as like the Ben Joneses of the world and, uh, and, and so forth, but the pass blocking grade is the best one there. Um, yeah. So, when, I mean, you look at that, you know, uh, Ben Jones is a decent grade. Um, Roger Sappold, like a little bit right below him. Ty Sembrello is, is very clearly, you know, sort of the, uh, the weak link there, but he's not playing all the time, which is, which is a good thing, uh, you know, for the Titans. And then, you know, the hard part is, you, you, you know, with Taylor Lewan week one, when you play Chandler Jones, uh, and, and to his words, you get exposed a little bit. Um, you know, that's you know that that's always going to be tough. He he did come back and have a better game, especially in pass blocking mm-hmm. uh, in week three against Indianapolis, the seventy-five grade. He's still been a little weaker in the run game, but you know it's probably going to take a little bit of a season for his grade to rebound from that first one where he was kind of manhandled by a very good uh, you know edge player in Chandler Jones. Mm-hmm. Well, with Eric Eager with PFF, Eric. Um... Derrick Henry, there used to be this meme of an alligator, and he was, like, opening a fence with his claw, and it said they're evolving. Now Derrick Henry is catching passes. He's like this alligator that's now evolving to find other ways to kill defenses. Uh, This dude is just in a class by himself, it seems like, and throw in his durability factor, and that seems to amp things up even more for him. Yeah, you know, he has a... uh... You know, 4.4 yards per carry, which isn't as high as he's used to, but 3.6 of it is after contact, right? So that offensive line we're talking about, not great in the run game, not giving him a full yard before contact, but he's still emerging, um, you know, to be a fantastic player there. Um, so you know, he's, he, and, and again, not as, not as productive in the run game from a yards per carry perspective, but still carrying that team on his back and they've gotten two leads. 
uh, well, one lead uh, specifically last week that they never relented because of how good he is uh, when you're ahead. And then and he actually ran them back into the game against Seattle, uh, which is really impressive. But yeah, the passing game, I mean, you're looking at, they, he has, he, he's not only been targeted 12 times. I talk about yards per target with, with uh, A.J. Brown, you know, being in that five range. I mean, Henry's been targeted 12 times. He's caught all 12 of them. Uh, 8.8 yards target, right? So that that's a very impressive number for running back. Um, and, you know, it, it can help add, you know, part of the issue with running back contracts is like oftentimes the guy will get hurt and oftentimes the guy will, you know, not be as efficient um, after the contract because usually early career runners are more efficient than late career runners. But if you can add to the guy's repertoire uh, 12 touches where he gets nine yards a touch on those plays, then you're getting value out of that contract. And, and, I, and I think the Titans are doing that. And that's, you know, Todd Downing, I gave him a lot of flack last time. Uh, but, you know, kudos to him for sort of, for sort of working that, that, uh, that wrinkle into the passing game because they kind of need it, right? The tight end position, um, you know, is not as productive. Um, and the wide receivers so far uh, have, you know, have you know, neither guy is on pace really for a, a big season so far. So Henry adding something in the passing game is a big deal for them. I want to switch to the defensive side. Harold Landry just, I mean, this was a really talented guy in a really big league in college. We really didn't get to see much of him last year. We felt like the tools were there. Now, you tell me this. Other than the one coverage bust, which everyone has attributed to him yardage-wise, has that dude really given up anything? No, not, I mean, not really. I mean, that, that, and that's, you know, that's a really good, um, you know, uh, feather in his cap. Um, you know, really, I mean, on the, on the entire team, there, there isn't, you know, there isn't a player on um, the Titans other than uh, Jack Rabbit Jenkins and Elijah Molden, who have given up over 100 yards into their coverage. So, you know, Fulton, I mean, you're talking about 18 targets into his coverage, five receptions, um, you know, three pass breakups. So that's a pretty impressive start to the season. That's Blaine Bishop type numbers right there. Eric Eager joining us uh, from Pro Football Focus here on Blaine and Mickey. <laughs> Well, we've talked about uh, all the studs, but uh, how has Julio Jones, uh, I guess, graded out over the first three weeks in totality, in your opinion? Well, you know, the the hard part is he's being asked to do more, uh, I think, than we all anticipated because of A.J. Brown's ineffectiveness and, and, and then the week three injury status. Um, you know, he's averaging 17 yards a catch. He's still being explosive. Um, but only 12 catches in three games, only 204 yards, and he hasn't gotten in the end zone yet. In fact, there was, of course, that one catch that he had against the uh, Seattle Seahawks that was a touchdown, I think, in almost everybody's mind, the same way that Dak's sneak last night was a touchdown in everybody's mind, um, but he it, but it didn't get through. So, I mean, as think it'll come, he certainly hasn't played great yet, and uh, if you're the Titans and you're taking on that salary and you're trading a second-round pick for him, you'd probably expect more. Yes, we're on with Eric Eager with PFF. Uh, naturally, being the former safety that I am, uh, how are Kevin Byard and his new mate out there, uh, Crookshank, do? Yeah, Crook, I mean, Crookshank has only given up four catches into his tar, into his uh, coverage, 79 yards. It's a little high, but he's three stops in the run game. He's even gotten a pressure rushing the passer. So, you know, there's not much there. You, you, you know, we can complain about he's graded okay for us. You know, Byard's a player who – has always graded well for us. Um, looking sort of at him right now, um, you know, he's he's given up a couple touchdowns in his coverage, but he has an interception and a pass breakup. Um, you know, he 
he's you know only missed one tackle, which is a, a decent rate. Um, you know, when you're a safety in three games, that'll happen to you. So I think they're both solid. Um, and you know, interestingly, like I, I talked talk about you guys as favorites in that division. Like I think for the Titans to sort of make the playoffs and for them to win the division, those safeties, I kind of have to be just solid. And you know, with the young quarterbacks and sort of like the struggling, you know, they'll get they'll get their opportunity to make interceptions against Trevor Lawrence and and against Davis Mills and uh, even Carson Wentz later on the season. So. Um, but but if they're solid and they're not making mistakes and not letting the ball get over their head, uh, I think that they'll be plenty good enough for this defense to, uh, you know, be a division champion defense. Mm. We're on with Eric Eager of PFF. I guess one more for me, and, and I'm always, like, skittish on, like, what happens when Tannehill throws the ball to Chester Rogers? It bounces off his shoulder pad. How Take me through the process of how you guys are grading that out as well as it was intercepted. Uh, so kind of take us through, you know, how you grade guys on that play, the quarterback, and then how you, you yeah, grade so, Rodgers, too, as well. Well, exactly. That's the whole thing. So, like, right now, Tannehill has four touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, I think the better way to look at it is to look at it from the two perspectives where we have them called big-time throws and turnover-worthy plays. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's really, like, a big-time throw is going to be like a 20-yard post which's right on the guy's shoulder and, you know, whether or not it's caught or not is independent of the grade he gets. Like, that's kind of how we grade quarterbacks. If a ball is thrown perfectly to Chester Rogers and he drops it and it gets intercepted, obviously that counts as an interception in his stats, but that's not a turnover-worthy play for us. And, and so right now Tannehill's just got one turnover-worthy play all season, meaning the two, you know, of his three interceptions, most of them aren't his fault. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of how, how you can have, like, a 90 pass, passing grade in our system or sorry, an 84 passing grade in our system, but not necessarily have the greatest statistics, um, you know, it, by the NFL standards. It's because we we grade the process and not necessarily the results. So Rodgers will get the, the the blame for that play, and he'll get a negative on his score sheet um, in, in our system. All right, and one more to that point, though, it just reminded me because last week this happened, I guess a you know a couple times or so, a handful of times is. You know, how are you grading wide receivers on drops? Because people kept saying they had drops when they were actually, being a former DB, PBUs, the guy knocked it out of his hand. So are you saying that's a drop and a PBU? How are you guys grading that? Yeah, it's probably, it depends. Like, we're pretty liberal on, or not, we're pretty conservative on what we'll say a drop is. So, I mean, it's got to be pretty bad for us to, okay, for, you know, okay. for us to call it a drop, let's say. Um, so there, there haven't been as many drops as I, as, as probably people believe. And we will, and we do give, you know, we call it, the, so we have uh, pass breakups. We also have what's called forcing completion. So let's say that you're covering a receiver near the sideline and the quarterback has to throw it out of bounds to avoid you. That's a forcing completion, even though you don't knock the ball, you don't get your hands on the ball, you force an incompletion. So we do a couple things like that on the defensive side. And we do count drops, but we are, you know, we, we are cognizant of how difficult it is to make a, a contested play. And that's kind of part of that statistic I talked about where, you know, the Titans are not necessarily getting the best separation in the world. That, to me, is more troublesome than drops. Drops are mostly like noise. Guys, you know, over time, their drop rate will sort of stabilize. Mm-hmm. Um, they have good streaks and bad streaks. But your ability to get open or, or in coverage, your ability to stop players from getting open it is a pretty stable trait. Eric, great stuff, man. We always love catching up with you. Uh, always love reading the grades and all the stuff that you guys do and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. 
Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Yes, sir. Eric Eager Eager at PFF underscore Eric, uh, Vice President of Research and Development for Pro Football Focus. Great Twitter account, too. Great follow uh, for all you football fans out there. We know that you are a bunch of them. All right, if you're a Belmont fan or a basketball fan, Belmont had a huge announcement today. The director of athletics, actually, he's the vice chancellor for athletics. Now, he's a vice chancellor. Scott Corley said to give us all the details next on Blaine and Mickey. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5, The Zone. Man, beautiful day in Nashville and a beautiful day over Belmont. Scott Corley joins us now. I almost said the director of athletics. He's the vice chancellor of athletics. I don't want to sell you short, Scott. Um, In your business, there are some hard days and there are some great days. This was definitely one of those great days that you love as an athletic administrator. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, you actually overstated. I'm I'm just a vice president. I'm not a vice chancellor. (laughs) uh, I got you, man. just kidding. But no, today was a great day for sure, Mickey. I mean, uh, historic in, in, in so many levels and just, you know, the excitement of, of joining a conference like the Missouri Valley. Uh, these are certainly fun days. And then, you know, a lot of hard work's gone to get to this point by a lot of people over the years. And uh, I'm just the beneficiary in a lot of ways to, to be the one on stage uh, participating in the announcement. But it, it, it's um uh, it's very exciting. Everyone here at Belmont is ecstatic. Well, you brought this up uh, during your portion of the program, just all the administrators and Coach Bird and everybody who, who came before you or has been part of this journey with you because where Belmont started as far as what conference and what uh, classification you were in NCAA-wise, where you've come in 25 years is really pretty amazing, and this is just the next big leap in that progression. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty phenomenal. First off, most schools uh, don't make the move from NAIA straight to division one. And we were able to do that back in 1996 uh, with the vision of, of Dr. Bill Trout, the president at the time. And so uh, that took some courage in and of itself because that was not a usual move. And then, you know, the success that we've had, you know, starting out, you know, those four years kind of figuring out where we're going to, what conference we're going to be in. Those are tough times. And, uh, you know, Mike Strickland, the athletic director during that time, did an amazing job figuring things out, where we're going to play our games. We didn't even have the Curb Event Center. I mean, so many things went into that 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 I don't even uh, fully appreciate. Uh, but then the, the just the methodical growth going into the Atlantic Sun, having the success we had in the Atlantic Sun, making the move to the Ohio Valley nine years ago, people were questioning, you know, boy, that's that's a move up. Is is Belmont ready for that? Can they compete? You know, I think we've proven we could we we did that. And and you're right. In a lot of ways, as as this opportunity presented itself, it just seemed like the next logical step for a school like Belmont. It's got so much momentum going on right now, whether it's at the university level, within athletics, and just being part of a Nashville community that has has so much positivity going on with it. Uh, it, it just feels like it's the right time uh, in the right move. If I didn't say this off the top, uh, Scott Corley joins us, Vice President of Athletics, Vander, or, uh, Belmont today making the announcement they were leaving the OVC for the Missouri Valley Conference. That's what we're talking about today. And Scott is on with us now talking about that move on Blaine and Mickey. 
Well, Scott, I guess, uh, you know, I know a lot of things happen behind the scenes, but kind of take us through the maturation process of how long this is taken and, and the kind of negotiations and were there other opportunities, other places, and they just this was the best landing spot for you guys? Yeah, this thing actually moved pretty quick, Blaine. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, it started with the new president of Belmont, Greg Jones, uh, starting on June 1st. I think any conference commissioner that had uh, an interest in a, in a school like Belmont reached out to him. Uh, and one of those was uh, the new commissioner of the Missouri Valley, Jeff Jackson, and, and the president of Missouri State, Cliff Smart, uh, reached out to Greg early in his tenure. Uh, and, and Greg and I kind of huddled up and, you know, he asked, is that something we ought to think, you know, at least talk about? And certainly given all the, you know, uh, uncertainty with conference affiliation, I think we wouldn't have been doing our due diligence if we didn't at least listen to him. And so that literally started only two months ago. And, uh, mm. you know, I, I think why, why we were able to move so quickly, Blaine, is because, the Missouri Valley, you know, was really aligned that, that, that they wanted Belmont. They made that clear to us, which was obviously a very, very good feeling. And then when we sat down with our chairman of the board of trust and the executive committee and just the various people, you know, within Belmont leadership, it was pretty unanimous that this was the right decision. And so I think when you have all those things line up, you have a conference like the Missouri Valley uh, that stated a strong desire to have us be part of it. And on our side, all our leadership and decision makers were pretty aligned. That's why we were able to move so quickly. And you know, part of our other rationale on moving quickly is I think it's, a, it's fair to both conferences. If the decision's been made that you might as well come out and make it public, mm-hmm. uh, then both conferences can figure out their next steps, whether, you know, from scheduling, from membership, things like that. So, uh, in a matter of a little over two months, we, 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 we went from an initial discussion to today's announcement. Man, how exciting. Uh, well, with Scott Corley, Vice President of uh, Athletics at Belmont, I guess I'm assuming all sports are moving over to the Missouri Valley. If not, correct me. And then if you do have sports that will not compete or they don't offer, they, what will you guys do with that sport in men's and women? Yeah, good question. Um Every sport aligns with the Missouri Valley except for men's tennis. And uh, just to be clear, this is effective uh, July 1st, 2022. Uh, So it does give me some time to figure out uh, what we're going to do about men's tennis. Uh, Right now, the Missouri Valley only has two schools that sponsor men's tennis. They play as an affiliate member in the Summit Conference. Um, But there's some other conferences that are – you know, low on men's tennis teams that that I'll reach out to. Obviously didn't want to reach out until this announcement today, but, uh, you know, the OVC was going to be in a similar situation even if we stayed in the Ohio Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Austin Peay's departure, there are only going to be four men's tennis teams, and you need to have six to get the automatic qualifier. So uh, there's some work to do on that end, but every other sport uh, – including men's soccer. Right now, men's soccer, we're an affiliate member in the SOCON because uh, the OVC doesn't sponsor that. So we we gain one and we lose one in a way. Along with Scott Corley, Vice President uh, of Athletics at Belmont.
On the way out, Scott, I was able to talk to Casey Alexander a little bit and you while I was over there at the announcement this morning. This is an interesting thing, especially for, let's say, Belmont basketball fans because of the strength of schedule. This is a multi-bid league. Often it's going to be a tough schedule to play, but there are some opportunities to get higher seeds in the tournament and more bids to the tournament now. Yeah, you're right, Mickey. I mean, that's what was attractive to this move. Um, you know, as our basketball program under Casey's leadership continues to uh, compete at a high level uh, with the addition of the Crockett Center, our new practice facility, um, I, I think everything was lining up where, where we're in a position to, to go against uh, better competition. Uh, and I think statistically, there's no doubt the Missouri Valley has some really, really strong basketball programs. And so the challenge is, you know, we, we want to continue to be competitive in a really tough league. And, you know, there's going to be times where, uh, you know, we, we may not be at the top every year. But to your point, I, I think with the strength of schedule, with the, the quality of the teams, with our ability and the non-conference to continue to schedule correctly, you know, I, I think we've got a good chance not only on the men's side, but also on the women's basketball side and other other programs where they've been multi-bid leagues in volleyball and men's soccer. I think it gives us a greater opportunity for our student athletes and coaches to get into the NCAA tournaments, which is, you know, everyone's goal. Well, it was an exciting day. Uh, a lot of a lot of people excited about the future. And again, as you said, this starts uh July 1st of 2022 won't be that long down the road. Scott, thanks for taking some time to talk with us on such a busy day. Glad to do it, and thanks for being there, Mickey. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Scott Corley, he's the vice president of athletics at uh, New Missouri Valley Conference member Belmont. Big day over there on Belmont Boulevard. We'll come back. Hour number two coming up next. More Titans talk, including Coach Mack. Oh, yeah, the Mack attack on Blaine and Mickey.